Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live right here from Daytona Beach, Florida, the international headquarters of Raven Ministries International. Raven, uh, The Raven Institute is a ministry of Raven International, and you can get more information on Raven Ministries by going to our website at www.biggrace.com. That's www.biggrace.com, and find out all the information about Raven Ministries. This is one of the facets that we do. We... Uh, conduct outreaches and uh, preach the gospel. Basically, we're, we're here to uh, to equip the saints to go out and bring people into the kingdom. And so that's really what we're all about. And uh, whatever it takes to get it done, that's what we do. If it means feeding the hungry, we'll feed the hungry. If it means going to the hospital and praying for the sick, we'll do that. Whatever it takes to, to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and see hearts and lives change, that's what we do. So we're here Monday through Friday from 9 until 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time with a study in the Word. Uh, for those that are listening to our live broadcast, I want to give you, uh, I've said last week that we would not be on next week. My calendar was off. Thank you, Raven Deb. She corrected me on that. Actually, the only day we will not be on next week is is Monday because I will be traveling uh, back from uh, New Orleans. So we will be on uh, from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday next week. So we will be on next week for four days. So those of you listening to us live, it will just be Monday that we will not be here. But we'll be back tomorrow uh, for you folks that are listening to us live uh, on Friday. So uh, Friday we'll be here. Monday we will not. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And Friday of next week we will be live. Then we'll have two weeks that we will not be on because of outreach schedules in other cities too. So just to clarify that, thank you, Deb, for correcting me on that. I stand. I just yeah, she thought I needed a three-week vacation. Actually, I don't. But uh, thank you for uh, correcting me on that. And uh, I know open rebuke is better than secret love. <laughs> Praise God for that. Anyhow, uh, good to have you. If you are joining us for the first time, we are doing an expository teaching on the book of Romans. And we're currently, this is, I believe, less than 131. One, 132 it's, uh, today is our 132nd lesson in the book of Romans. It's, it's amazing that there's so much to extract from the Word of God. And we're really just... Uh, just touching, you know, t- touching the surface in regards to the Word of God. It is so infinite. It is the uh, unsearchable riches. But we've really been able to get so much out of that, uh, and God is just really blessed in a tremendous way. And uh, so, if, but if you missed those, you can go to our website, and uh, which is uh, biggrace.com, and click on Raven Magazine, and you can get the daily classes and download those to your computer in uh, MP3 format. That is all absolutely free. We don't have anything for sale. Uh, we've freely uh, received it, so we freely give, and we want to share that with you. And I encourage you, send out every once in a while, send out a blast on your uh, MySpace or your, uh, your email and, and let people know about what we're doing here. If people want to get involved and, and have a daily devotion time or whatever it is, Tell them to tune in to the, to the Raven Institute. We'd love to have them, and I believe it would be such a benefit to them, just as I know it's been a benefit to you and to myself as well. So we'd love to have uh, more people come on. We get about 10,000 downloads per class uh, from all over the world as those things get posted. And uh, our pastor friends in, in other countries pass those things around and uh, uh, utilize those to train their indigenous leaders and people in their churches. And so we're, we're so glad to have them around as well. They are our heroes in the faith because of their really their steadfastness in the face of opposition and uh, persecution uh, from the enemy. And so praise God for them, and we're going to pray for them today as well. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to dive right into our, our study today and uh, see what the Lord has for us. Father, we just come to you. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus. 
Father, we thank you today that there is access into the throne room of grace and mercy because of the blood of Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord God, it's not a, a, an issue of our works of righteousness, which you call filthy rags, but it's because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus that comes into our hearts and lives through faith. And Lord God, as we come today, we, we come boldly to obtain help in our time of need. And we thank you that, that you have given us a comforter, Lord God, according to your word that, that leads and guides us into all truth. Lord God, where there's a deficiency in our heart and life, Lord God, you've brought the strength because your word says that in our weakness that you're made strong. So Lord Lord God, we come today and we just admit and confess our weakness. We confess our fallibility. We confess, Lord God, our inability to do anything apart from the strength, Lord God, and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And so today, Lord God, I pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters who are listening to us live. I pray for those, Lord God, that will be listening to us later on, on delayed broadcast or download. And, and I just pray that your word, Lord God, would be that illumination in our hearts and lives. Anything in our life that is hidden in darkness, I pray that it would be revealed or made manifest by the light. That way it could be purged from us. Lord God, we don't want to walk and hold on to anything that would be contrary to the to the divine nature that you've imparted into us through faith in your son Jesus. And so, Lord God, we just ask that those things would be purged from us, Lord God, as we come to you with a heart of repentance and we just seek your face, Lord God, because we know that, that as we seek you, the word tells us that we'll find you as well. And so, Lord God, we just ask that you would just come and manifest your presence here today while we search out your word, as we look to you, Lord God, as we I want your, your voice, Lord God, to just resonate within our hearts and lives and with our testimony. And Father, we pray that your word, Lord God, would just, would just break our hearts once again. That we would see your love and your mercy and your compassion. It would move us, even as we, we, we ta- talked about yesterday, that we would be moved with the same compassion that Jesus was moved with. That we would move from just being passionate about knowing you and we'd become passionate about sharing you with the lost and dying. And Father, we just pray, Lord God, for those that have been sick in their physical bodies. We just pray, Lord God, today for a touch of the Holy Spirit. I pray specifically, Lord God, my mother's been sick there in Texas. And I pray, Lord God, that you would touch her, that you would heal her, that you would deliver her, Lord God, that the power of the blood of Jesus would make itself manifest in her physical body. Lord God, any malady, any infirmities that, that, that are troubling people this very day and this very hour, Lord God, that they would be arrested, Lord God, and they would cease, Lord God, from their advancement upon their bodies and cease, Lord God, from their attacks upon them and that you would cause victory to come because of the cross of Calvary. Now, Father, we just pray, Lord God, for souls. The Word says, ask of me and I'll give you the, the, the nations for your inheritance. Lord God, that's what we desire. We desire neither silver nor gold. We desire neither... Those things that the, that the, that we lay up for, for treasures here on earth. Lord God, but we seek you and we desire, Lord God, souls to be brought into the kingdom of heaven. We just ask you today, Lord Jesus, to come and fill us with knowledge and understanding. Fill us, Lord God, with your, your power and your love and mercy. Lord God, help us to be truly, Lord God, representative of you in Jesus' name, Lord God. And just ask you to, to help us today, Lord God, even as, as we submit ourselves to your word, just cause it to, to just uh, resonate in us and just cause it to become rhema. Just cause it to be life. Father, I just admit to you that I'm incapable, Lord God, in and of myself, but I have a promise and that I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And Father, I just submit myself unto you today and just ask that the words that I speak, Lord God, would, would not originate in my own heart and mind, but they'd originate, Lord God, through the Spirit of God who dwells inside of me. Lord God, let just, just give us ears to hear and eyes to see that which you would speak to us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And amen. Folks, listen, in our last class, we dealt with the subject of the compassion and mercy of God. And really, I want to say this. If you missed it, you need to go back 
and listen to it when it's available later on today uh, on the website. I, I believe it's one of those classes that you, you'll be able to, to go back to the second and third time and glean some good stuff from. And uh, even if you, you, you heard it the first time, if you, I believe if you go back and, and get that, you can get some stuff. So I really encourage you to get that on the subject of mercy and compassion because I believe it will do you a lot of good just as it's done me a lot of good in my life. And so uh, yesterday I just briefly touched on verse 16 as we closed out the class. And I want to look at it uh, at it first today to kind of set the tone for the scriptures that are going to follow. And, but before, before we go there, though, I want, to, I want to again give you a reminder of something. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke 19.10 says this. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came for that one solitary purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so also Luke, let's back up a little bit out of Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19. When Jesus went in and he picked up the scroll of the book of Isaiah and right there in, the, in the, the synagogue and he began to read. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So folks, listen. Jesus came, we know, to seek and to save the lost by doing what? By setting them free from captivity. In captivity, you might ask yourself, captivity from what? What did he come to set them free from captivity? Was it because they were bound by, by uh, uh, the, the Romans, that they were under their dominion? Was it because they were bound by the Babylonians? Folks, listen, that's not what he came to set you free from. He, he came to set you free from the sin nature. And so when we say that he came to seek and to save that which is lost, always remind yourself, listen, he came to set me free from the sin nature. And this is really the very essence of the gospel message. You know, Romans 5 6 told us, and we studied this, he said, you see, just at just the right time, when we were still powerless, that Christ died for the ungodly. Now think about that for a second. Just at the right time, at the precise moment, that, that, that we were powerless, that we had no ability to come to Christ. We had, there was nothing inside of us that was redeemable. That He came and He, he brought the, the, the hope and the life and the grace and the mercy and the compassion that's going to snatch us out of those situations. And you know, you could even personalize it, I'm sure. Some of you folks found yourself in, in really devastating situations or living a destructive lifestyle, and it's just right on time. God came in and you moved. And you thought to yourself later, said, had He had not come at that precise moment, uh, where would I have been? You know, I, I think about uh, Brother Rusty, who is such a blessing to us here with ministry and praise and worship, and even the Word. You know, he talked about when we went back there, and he was just struggling. Uh, we found him uh, just sitting right there on, in, on, on, a, on a park bench, basically, just wondering, God, is this it for me? Am I just going to turn and just go back to the world? That right at the right time, God sent somebody and, and witnessed to him and brought restoration into his life. And that's just a, a personal example how at just the right time that he comes to set us free from the captivity to the, the to that cry of the sin nature that always wants to pull us in. So we, we see that, you know, while we were still powerless to walk in holiness, while we were still powerless to walk in victory, we were powerless to know what a relationship with God could really be like, uh, still powerless to, to see the appropriation of God's grace and mercy upon our lives. Powerless, folks, because we were held captive by our evil thoughts. We were held captive by our evil understanding and evil intentions. We were 
held captive, just break it down, by that sin nature that was the dominating force and the driving uh, force behind everything that we thought, said, and did. Even the things that we thought were good, even the things that we thought were, were noble or, or moral, they were, they were birthed and they were rooted in that evil sin nature that ultimately was going to turn and, and devise wicked imaginations and the evil plan, even though it, it seemed to start out right. And that's the way the adversary works. He, he, he works in subtleties. You know, even uh, the, uh, I think it was uh, Lenin, the, 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 really the, the architect of communism, uh, he, he said about you know, the West or those that are in, in democracy, he said, our, our trick is we'll lull them to sleep and crush them with an iron fist. And where does that drive from? That's really the, the exact same thing that the adversary did in, uh, in, uh, in the book of Genesis. He lulled them to sleep with this, these, uh, 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 these desires. He lulled them to sleep with these, uh, with these offers and says, listen, you're not going to die, that you're going to be able to uh, be like gods. And, and, and folks, listen, that is, the, that is the subtlety of the adversary. But we were, we were uh, uh, unable to go back and to walk into that and to see... Uh, just how much the enemy wanted to draw us into those things. And so we were powerless and held captive by that sin nature. But he has sought us out and he has brought with him the key literally to releasing the chains of bondage from upon us. And that is the message of the cross. And so what he desires to do is bring us that thing that's going to bring victory, that's going to release us from captivity. And it comes right down to what, what Paul the Apostle said in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in 2. And he said, you know what, it's the power. The, the power of the gospel is the preaching of the cross, that, that, that he has chosen the foolishness of preaching the gospel to save that which was lost. And he said in, in, in chapter 2, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians, he said, listen, I'm determined not to know anything except Christ Jesus and him crucified. All those other stuff are going to up the message. And he's saying, really, the basis of it is he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so, folks, really, when we break it down, the thing that we need to be set free from is ourselves. You hear me? What you need to be set free from is not your situation, not a, a bad relationship, not uh, somebody else that's been hurtful for you, but what we need to be set free from is ourselves. It is ourselves that, that are walking in bondage, that, that have walked in darkness, that are in captivity to these things. And so what he wants to do is set us free from ourselves. And, and, and the way we, the, the, we were once the ones that were destitute and enemies of God, but really, folks, and we talked about it yesterday, him and his great mercy and compassion, what he did, he sought us out and offered us the freedom that only comes through faith in the blood of Jesus. You know, I don't know about where you came from. You know, I wasn't born with a couple angel nubs, wings sticking out of my back. You know, I was, I was born in, in desperation. Now, was I out killing and murdering and getting hooked on dough? That's not what I did. But in my heart... I, I was wicked. I devised wicked imaginations. And, I, and everything I did, I, I lived for myself. I didn't want to admit that. And on the outside, you couldn't see it. Or, or I could probably try to justify those things. But what was happening is I was progressively and progressively getting more centered upon myself and leading myself into destruction. So that is really what the Roman letter is, is all about. And it's really what the epistles that Paul wrote were all about and what the gospels were all about. It's the message of the entirety of the scriptures is setting you free from the captivity of you. I want to say that again. What the message of the Word of God is to set you free from the captivity of you. Everything that we see, everything that we do, is, is really becomes self-inflicted. You know, in my life, if I, if I want to find out, you know, what's the, the root cause of a problem that I may be going through or something I'm having to endure, all I've got to do is go as far as the mirror and look and see, you know, what decision did I make? How did I walk in opposition to God? How did I do something contrary to what I know that the Word of God told me to do? And what were the consequences that, that, that I had to endure as a result of that? But see, folks, here's the problem. 
somehow people fail to realize just how destitute they are apart from a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, and here's, here's really one of the major problems in that, is that many, if not most churches today, preach this feel-good type of message that, that people uh, uh, never see that they stand really in complete opposition to God uh, before they're born again. And so as long as this feel-good message is brought out and saying, you know, that, that, hey, you're okay and I'm okay and we can kind of do what we want to, there's, there's, there's never a place of coming to God and saying, listen, I'm desperate for you. I need you to come in and change my life. And so the tragic thing is, is that where there's no conviction of sin, or in most cases, even an acknowledgement of just the wickedness and, and vileness of one's life, that then there's never repentance from sin. Now, I don't know if you've ever even thought about it in those terms. If there's no conviction of sin, then there's no repentance from sin. And, and the Word of God is explicit. It says, unless that you repent, that you'll perish. Now, now, folks, think about this for a second. And people talk about the, quote-unquote, the unpardonable sin and these things. And, and Jesus basically said, he said, you can speak against the Son and it'll, it'll be forgiven you. He said, you can speak against the Father and he said, it'll be forgiven you. He said, but those that blaspheme the Holy Spirit, he said, it won't be forgiven in this life or the, or the life to come. Why do you think that is? Have you ever thought about why that is and, or what that entails? You know, I know with the, uh, I think it was the, uh, and you'll see them right here on stick cam, uh, I believe it's the, uh, what do they call it, the, uh, I can't even think of the name of that group. It's, a, it's an atheist-based group, uh, I can't even think about it right now. But anyway, what they did is they went on. They wanted they wanted people that follow them, young people, to go on and create a YouTube video of them blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Well, one, number one, that just shows you they don't even know what that is because they're godless. And if, if they're so hell-bent on that type of destruction, they don't believe in God. Why would they even waste their time worrying about God and trying to defend it one way or the other? But really what, what it is, what the, the unpardonable sin is, it becomes in rejecting the Holy Spirit. Rejecting what part of Him? Rejecting a belief in Him? No, because people that are lost, it's, these things are spiritually discerned. Why it's unpardonable is because the Holy Spirit is the, the, is the agent, the person of the Godhead, that convicts us of sin. And as we, if we resist that conviction, if we find ourselves rejecting the benefits of the, the mercy and compassion of God, what happens? We begin to harden our hearts. So God convicts us of sin. God tells us that, that we've got to come to that place. And as we continue to reject Him, as we turn ourselves away from Him, we come to the place where no longer are we convicted of sin. And if we're not convicted of sin, then we'll never repent. Let me, let me say this to you, new guy. If you'll hold off... Yeah, the rational response squad. Thank you so much, Meg. If you'll hold off any questions until after the, at the top of the hour, I'll answer any questions that you will have. And we'll actually post a telephone number on there that you can call in. Or you can actually Skype us at one go zap souls G-O-Z-A-P-S-O-U-L-S, that you can actually uh, Skype us. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll answer any of your questions afterwards that you might have concerning what we're teaching or anything else relating to the Word of God. And so here's the problem, folks. Where there's, no, where there's no conviction of sin or acknowledgement of sin, there's not going to be a, a repentance from sin. And so there's never going to be a freedom from the captivity the enemy brings in. And see, here's the problem, too, is that many churches in their efforts to, to build their, their, their numbers or to increase their coffers, they've eliminated any mention of sin. They've eliminated any mention of hell or of repentance or of, or of judgment. And, and they, they've just said, hey, we're just going to preach the love of God and try to just keep it positive. They say, you know what, God has got a wonderful plan for your life. And, and while the Bible doesn't teach that God has a wonderful plan for your life, the Bible teaches that God has a wonderful plan for your death. 
And I know some of you is going to go right over your head. You're not even going to understand what I mean by that. But Matthew 10, 38 and 39, Jesus said that he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In other words, that person that's not willing to take up that instrument of their, 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 their own demise, that thing that's going to, to, to eliminate you. Folks, listen, my problem before I came to the Lord Jesus Christ over 23 years ago was me. And so, but when I came to Christ Jesus, I could make that declaration of what the Word tells us in the book of Galatians, that I've been now crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And so He brought me life. But Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 10, 38 and 39, He says, if you don't take up your cross, you're not worthy of me. Then He goes on to say this, and this is what I'm talking about, that He's got a wonderful plan for your death. He said, He who finds His life or has a wonderful plan for their own life, is going to lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so really the key is, God, you've got a wonderful plan for my death, for the demise of who I was, for the destructive nature of my appetites towards sin, for all those things. You've got a wonderful plan. Why? Because if I'm willing to die to myself, then I will live in Christ. If I'm willing to, to, to be crucified with Christ, if I'm willing to have faith in Him and, and identify with what Jesus did for me to, to change me and to redeem me from the, the, the curse of the law and from the wickedness of who I was, what's God going to do? He's going to change and transform me. He's going to not only just give me that wonderful life, but it's going to be eternal life. Folks, listen, this life is but a vapor. You know, you look, you look up in, the, in the, the obituaries of your local newspaper, you'll see people of every age, every shape, every facet, every background that die. You know, death is no, uh, no uh, is indiscriminate about age. And so it's, when I say it's like a vapor, it means it's here one minute and then gone the next. You may see it, then it's gone. My grandmother lived 101 years old, passed away this past uh, year, but in the scope of eternity, that is, that is just a, not even a blip on on the radar screen. But we put so much into what can we attain in this life? How much can we gather? How much can we, we, we do in this lifetime? Folks, listen, it's all going to pass away. You know, you can build the nicest house. One day, somebody's going to tear it down or it's going to be gone. You can have the most money. One day, it's going to be spent. Folks, listen, if you live for this life, that you're going to die under the consequences of this life, and you're going to spend eternity continuously, uh, eternally separated from God. But that's not the desire that God has for you. He desires that you would follow Him, lose your life, that He might give you eternal life and give you life more abundantly. Philippians 3, 17-19 really kind of describes many so-called followers of Christ. And you know, I think the biggest detriment to uh, really to walking with the Lord Jesus Christ is people that claim to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, but really don't. They become religious rather than having a genuine transforming relationship with Him. And so when mo- many people, they, when they reject quote-unquote Christianity, they're, they're not rejecting the Christianity of the Bible. They're really not. People that become haters of God and blasphemers, the, the problem is, is they're not rejecting the God of the Bible because if they really study the Word and see the transformation and get to know Jesus, uh, then they would have a totally different life. But what they're rejecting is this, this, this spineless, watered-down, self-serving gospel that has so, been so appropriated, whether it's through television, whether it's through reading materials, whether it's through the, some local type of seeker-sensitive type of church that's really not seeking the face of God but it's trying to pacify the flesh. Folks, listen, that, that's the ultimate turnoff. You know, I know from my Myself, I was I was brought up and I and I saw it saw a lot of things around me I should say that that, that talked a lot about Jesus and serving Him but that really they didn't demonstrate those type of qualities that Christ had there was no urgency to go out and share the gospel it was like let's meet together on, for an hour on Sunday and we'll just punch our clock and we'll go on about our business and so I thought to myself you know there's no way that I want this I, I read the Bible I read the Book of Acts I read that this this 
this, this word that described people that came to an intimate knowledge of Jesus. And I said, God, that's, that's the Jesus that I want to serve. And supernaturally, He came into my, my life, like I said, over 23 years ago. And the Word tells me that if anyone's in Christ, He's a new creature. Old things are passed away and everything become new. And so I've not had to live this up and down, wishy-washy, despondent, depressed, you know, discouraged life. Christ Jesus is coming to me and He's been my hope. He's been my life. He's been my, my peace that passes understanding. And so the Philippians 3, 17-19 though, kind of describes these so-called uh, followers of Christ that have not only just been a turn-off to genuine believers, but they've been a turn-off to the world. And it's caused the heathen, it's called the unbelievers, to blaspheme the name of God. But here's what Paul said in Philippians to the church of Philippi. In verse 17, he said, Join with others in following my example, brothers. He said, And take note of those who live according to the pattern that we've given you. Folks, listen, Paul the Apostle set a pattern. He said, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And I'll say the exact same thing. You need to be around people. You need to listen. People that are going to preach the Word, they're going to be imitators of Christ. And we don't have to look too far. Just look to the Gospel and you'll see what Jesus did. What did He come for? Exactly what we said in Luke chapter 19.10. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so if, if you see of a Christian that somebody claims to follow Christ, but their preeminent or the, the, the predominant thing in their life is not to seek and save the lost, they're not following after Christ. Simply put, they're not following that example. He gave us the example once again in Luke chapter 5. He said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you those that go out and seek and save the lost, the broken, the destitute. Folks, we go out every day, our teams from all across the nation. And once again, you can go to our website, biggrace.com. Click on Raven Nation. You'll see teams. They're going out to the drug-infested areas. They're going out to the, the prostitutes. They're going out to the, the kids that don't have anything to eat. They're going out to the people that nobody wants to go to, seeking and saving the lost. They're doing exactly what Jesus did on a regular basis. They're going to the, the person that has plenty of money, that thinks that their life is okay because of the, their bank account. Folks, listen, you've got to, to, to emulate. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you've got to go and do the things that Christ Jesus did. And he said, join with others in following my example, Philippians 3.17, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern who you gave me. He said this, though. He said, for as I have often told you before, and I'll say it again with tears, many, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, who's he talking about? He's not talking about the Rational Response Squad. He's not talking about this atheist group. He's not talking about these pagans. That's not who he's talking about. He's talking about within the confines of people who claim to be Christians. He said many of them live as enemies of the cross. Then he goes on to describe them in verse 19. He said their destiny is destruction. He said their God is really their stomach. And their glory is in their shame and their mind is on earthly things. Let me just break it down to you and tell you what he's saying. Their destiny is in, in destruction and they're headed to, to, to hell and to utter destruction even though they boast of heaven. They talk about that we're going to have eternal life. They talk about that, you know, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. But, but he's telling them, listen, because you're an enemy of the cross, you can say what you want to. You can be a part of the Baptist church, the Catholic church, the charismatic church, the Methodist church. You can say whatever you want to. He said, but your destiny, because you're just a member of an organization and you're not part of my organism, a relationship with me, that your destiny is ultimately going to be destruction. Folks, Jesus didn't come to make us more religious. He came to put righteousness in our life, that we can walk in the righteousness and the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care how many prayers that you can recite. I don't care if you can quote perfect King James uh, English. I, I don't care how many services that you go and punch a clock at, or if you're going to Mass, or if you're crossing yourself the, the right way or the wrong way, or whatever it is, folks, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus that is made evident in the transforming power and the fruit of the Spirit in your life, 
the Word calls you an enemy of the cross and says that your destination is destruction. You've got to come to that place of repentance and say, God, you know what? You've got to change me. You've got to transform me. I want you to become real to me. And so once again, the problem with the, the way many people in the world view Christianity is it, it has not been legitimate. There's been too many religious imposters out there using His name but not walking in his, the fruit of the life that Jesus demonstrated for us. He, so He said their destiny is destruction. He said their God is the, their stomach. And that doesn't mean their physical belly. What it means is whatever satisfies the flesh at the moment. You know what? It's like, it's like somebody going on a binge and it's like, you know what? I want to eat everything. It's, it's whatever satisfies me. I'm going to buy me a new car. It satisfies. Why? Until it gets dirtier. Because until it gets wrecked. Or I'm going to, I'm going to go find me another relationship. And, and if I can get satisfied through sexual immorality, let's go party and, and I'm, I'm going to be satisfied. Their God is their stomach. Whatever it is that's going to satisfy them at the moment. And this is breaking down religious terms. Or I'm going to go and, and as long as that preacher's telling me what I want to hear, as long as he's, he's telling me something that makes me feel good and I never have to be confused confronted by sin. I have a pastor friend of mine that said to himself, he, he, he talking to his brother, his, his brother's living in complete immorality, and he, uh, he, he went to a church and he said, you know what? He said, man, I like this church. He said, I can go and I never feel convicted. And he said, I can just continue to do what I, what I want to do. Folks, what is that? That's saying your, his God is, is his stomach. So he's being told something that, he, that, that dissatisfies the flesh. And he goes on to say, he said, their glory is in their shame. And what that means, it means that it's dishonesty or disregard for truth. They're not, they're not even desirous of the truth. That the God is in their shame and their, their, their soul shamefacedness that's in their life that, that they don't even care if they're, they're, they're speaking lies. They don't even care if they're, they're walking in, in a disregard for the truth. They're, they're, very, they're, they're, they're very great communicators. But what they're speaking is, 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 it has a little bit of Christianity to it, but if you look at the underlying nature of it, there's no truth in it. He goes on to say their, their mind is on earthly things. In other words, there's no focus on eternity. They're just living for the moment. And so what that does is that begins to resonate into society. You know, when, when churches are, are utilizing you know, 90% of their budget to build another barn to house or to warehouse lost people, basically what it is because they're not winning those people, that re- warehousing religious people, what ends up happening is they're just investing in something that's earthly. Folks, listen, one day, like I said before, all this stuff is going to pass away. And, and we're going to stand before God and give an account. And, and I've said this on this program a number of times. Most of what we have, we have for someone else. God has put it in our hands to be faithful stewards. The Word, the word of God tells us that, that the earth is His and the fullness thereof. Anything that, that God puts in our hands, it's just a tool. To do what? To help us to seek and to save the lost. God will bless you with a great job. He doesn't mind you having a good job. He doesn't mind you having a decent house. But what does He put that in your hand for? To be a tool to be able to, to witness to somebody else. You're asking, man, why did God bless me with that extra bedroom? Well, maybe there's somebody that's going to need a place to stay. Well, why did God bless me with a few extra dollars in my pocket? Maybe there's going to be somebody that needs something to eat. Why did God bless me with a little extra time? Maybe there's going to be somebody that you need to sit down with and, and bring a little bit of encouragement to. And so the things that He does is not for them to mind earthly things, and we're not once again laying up treasures here on earth where moth and dust corrupt and thieves break through and steal but where our heart is our treasure is there our heart's going to be also and so that's why we got to be eternally focused on eternal things and so those are the things that he came to set us free from destiny and our destruction God being our stomach glory and our shame and our mind on earthly things he came to set us free from those things because those are the things that serve to identify us as enemies of the cross and so if you're walking in those things you're walking in those bondages then that means that you are standing in opposition to the things of God and I can't believe with a good conscience as God reveals those things to you you'd want to continue to walk in that but I believe that God has come to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and to set us free 
from that law of sin and death. Set us free from that pattern that's been in our lives. So you can dress all those things up in a religious facade and package them behind some pearly white teeth and glossy book covers. You can boast that they're about the love of God, but they, folks, they are what they are. They, they are destruction. They, they, are, they, are, they, are, they, they cause you to be an enemy of God regardless of what they look like or what they boast. And so 1 Timothy uh, 4, 1 and 2 says this. It says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in a later, later time some will depart from the faith. Depart from what? Depart from faith. So they'll know the truth. And in giving heed, here's the reason that they'll depart from the, the faith. They'll, because they're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so what's going to happen, they're going to be seduced away from the truth. They're going to be seduced or led away into bondage by something that's seductive, something that's promising something, something that, that falls within that, that context of, of uh, glory in their shame and God is their stomach and their mind on earthly things. They're going to be drawn away by those things. And as a result, they're going to fall into the trap of the doctrines of devils. And you see those things so often. We've talked about them numerous times, how these doctrines of devils have found themselves into the church, the, the whole uh, money gospel and all these things that, that have slipped in that, that totally are contrary to the Word of God. And it says, here's what's going to end up happening. It says, they'll speak lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. They'll speak lies in hypocrisy. You now, folks, listen, that word, that Greek word, here's what's interesting about that, is uh, the word for hypocrisy is actually, it sounds much like our English word. It's actually hypocrisy in the Greek. And it, it means the acting out of a stage player. Now think about that. Isn't that interesting? Hypocrisy in the Greek means to act out as a stage player. It says, so the, the latter times they'll depart from the faith. They'll give heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. They'll speak lies and hypocrisy. In other words, what they're going to be, they're going to be actors. They're going to be charlatans. They're going to be uh, phonies. They're going, to be, they're going to be a charade. They're going to be religious impostors. Now think about that. It's somebody they're going to play the role now, have you not seen that? Now, think about it. Say, God revealed to me when people are just playing a role of something, not really being genuine. And it says, that because their conscience will be seared with a hot iron. Now, folks, really, that's the, that's the dangerous part when you come to that point. And that's what I talked about earlier with even the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. When you begin to, to, to reject the Spirit's uh, conviction in your life, maybe God has uh, spoken some things to you uh, over and over again about a bondage that's been in your life, maybe an addiction, maybe a, a bad relationship, maybe some thoughts or some unforgiveness or some bitterness that you've been holding. Folks, listen, as long, the more you hold on to those things and you try to justify those, what happens? It's because you become desensitized to those things and you'll never repent from those things. And so those things are going to stand and they're going to, they're going to stand as a testimony against you on the day of judgment. You can play the part. You can say, listen, I'm just, I'm, I'm serving God, but in your heart, you know, with your mouth you're drawing, you, you praise Him with your lips, but the Word says that your heart is far from Him. You're a cloud without rain. You look good on the outside. You're like a whitewashed tomb. But inside there's just death and destruction. Folks, listen. What the Word of God is calling us to is to, to, to walk in the light as He is the light, to be messengers of the light, and to have no darkness with us, to not even, to, to, to abstain even from the appearance of evil, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Recognize those things, call those things out, turn away from those things, and not allow those things to have domination in our lives any longer. And so, verse 16 says this. It says, So then, it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. What he's saying right there in verse 16, folks, is the mercy of God is totally, completely undeserved on our part. And, and there's, but there's been this false premise that somehow we deserve God's mercy, or at least a chance. We deserve something. Folks, listen. 
All we really deserve is hell. Every single one of us. You know what? I, I'm not apart from that. The, what I deserved was, was destruction. Why? Because I was birthed out of destruction. But God in His great mercy has come and showed us uh, the way out of, of hell, death, and destruction. So I hear people all the time that don't even understand the Word of God. They say, well, if God's so loving, how can He send people to hell? Folks, you see, you're operating already off the wrong premise. Man, because man failed, not because God failed, God created man with one destiny. And that was to, to, to be with Him for eternity. God, a man made the choice for mankind to fall away from that. But God in His mercy said, Listen, man made that, but I'm going to send my son Jesus to make them a way out of hell. And so folks, listen, God doesn't send anyone. The Word of God says in, in John chapter 3, it says that, that Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It says, this is the condemnation, or this is what's going to send you to hell. That men love darkness rather than light because of their deeds were evil. Now folks, if you go to hell, you're going to hell because you've made the choice to go to hell. Because you made the choice to continue upon that path of death and destruction rather than saying, listen, God came in in His love and His mercy. Even though I was headed there, even though I was born uh, destined for destruction, God is allowing me to be born again, to come to a place of eternal life. And so, no, God didn't send anybody to hell. Hell became that decision that man made by rebelling against the plan that God had originally had for them. And that's why Jesus said, listen, but I'm going to go, and I'm going to go in, the, in this, 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 this search and recovery mission, and I'm going to come and I'm going to seek and save that which was lost. And so it becomes whosoever will. Whosoever will that doesn't desire to perish, whosoever will be a follower of, of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever, so, whoever will, that I've, I've got a place for you in, in my kingdom. I've got a place for you that's going to uh, bring life and, and hope and it's going to bring salvation into your life. And so don't ever think from the premise that, that we're deserving of anything. Folks, literally, all we deserve is the judgment of God. But praise God that He hasn't given us what we deserve. He has not uh, uh, rewarded us according to our transgressions. He's not rewarded us according to those iniquities. But God has continuously, continuously, God is good and His mercy endures forever. Now, if you reject the mercy of God, then you're going to meet the wrath of God. Because that's where you were destined before coming to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But my prayer is that if you're listening today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'll see that it's mercy. That you'll see that, that God has withheld judgment. That God desires to, to have a relationship with you and to bring you to that place. And so it's not you that wills. It's not you that, that runs. It's not you that are deserving. Basically is what it says. It's not you that could merit anything. But God is saying, even though you didn't, you're not worthy of that. Even though you blasphemed my name. Even though you, that you walked contrary. Even though you did all these things, you're, you're destiny was destruction, that your God was your belly, that you gloried in shame and you, you, you were mindful strictly of the earthly things, I'm still going to show you mercy. And there's mercy here today for you. And I really encourage you even right now as you're listening to this, if you find yourself thinking, to, you know, God, would you ever accept me? Absolutely. God, God loves you. If you'll repent, if you'll turn from sin. But the, here's the thing, I've got to interject this. God came to save you from sin. Okay? He didn't come to save you in sin. Can I say that again? God didn't come to save you. God came to save you from sin or deliver you out of it. He didn't come to save you and leave you in it. He came to deliver you out of that destructive element. It, it becoming like me saying, you know what? I, I land, you're out in the middle of a desert and I, I come to you and, and you're stranded out there in the middle of, of, of this vast Sahara desert. The sun's beating down on you and, and I land all of a sudden in a helicopter and I say, are you thirsty? And you say, yeah, I'm, I'm about to die. And I say, well, here's a bucket of water and I just fly off. 
Folks, that's the kind of salvation people want. What's going to happen? That bucket of water is going to run out. I've left you in the middle of it. I've given you a little taste of something that may satisfy for a moment, but ultimately that bucket of water is going to run out. Folks, listen. God didn't come to deliver you a bucket of water and say, well, I hope you make it. He came to literally lift you out of the place of destruction, to pull you out of that place that was going to, that, that, that was going to starve you to death, that's going to cause you to rot in the, the wasteland of your own life. And so we think and we operate off that false premise, and I say that about... Christian people, and we think everyone has a chance. And I really want to bring that out because here's that seducing spirit and that, that those doctrines of devils that slip in. And we think, you know what, everybody's got to have a chance and, and, and Jesus can't come back until everybody's heard. You, you've heard. I know you've heard those things. And that, you know, how could God send somebody to hell that's in some remote wasteland that's never heard of it or, or, or somebody in some third world country? Once again, you're operating from the premise that we deserve a chance. And here's where people get that from. It's out of Gospel of Matthew 24, verse 1 through 24. Matthew 24. And I want to read this to you, but I want to read it in context. What you've heard is verse 14. What you've heard is, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. You'll hear that from preachers on Christian television. They'll say, listen, you need to help us get some more satellites because until we preach the gospel to everybody, nobody, you know, or if we hurry up and preach the gospel to everybody, then Jesus can come back. You, you hear that all the time. People say, well, we've got to do these things, then Jesus can come back. Folks, listen, he's going to come back when he's going to come back. That, that, that is not something, we, we don't know the times of the season. We're not going to be able to dictate that. What we need to do is bring as many people in the kingdom until he does can't come back. And we need to occupy, the word says, until he comes. And to redeem the time because we know the days in which we are living are evil. So here's what he says. He says that Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him uh, to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, he said, do you not see all these things? And he said unto them, he said, there shall not be one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Talking about this temple that took this, this many years to build. He's saying, listen, it's going to be upside down. And he said, he sat upon, and, and as he sat down upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Lord Jesus, tell us, what shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? So what are they asking? They're talking about the end of the world. And Jesus said unto them, take heed or be mindful that you're not deceived. Don't get deceived. He said, I want you to listen to me. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. In other words, many people are going to come and claim to be religious. They're going to claim to be Christian. They're going to be claimed all these things. But what are they going to do? They're going to bring deception to many people. So I know that that's going to happen. And the Word of God tells us that that's going to happen. But why aren't people more aware that that is already happening? That there's going to be people coming in His name. And so here's what we do so many times. We say, well, as long as they're, they're, they're using the name of Jesus, they must be okay. We can't say anything about them. What's Jesus calling that stuff out just for what He was? He said, it's deception. It's a lie. And He said, they're going to deceive many. And He said, but and he said, here's the context of when you're going to hear that. He said, there's, there shall be wars and rumors of wars. And He said, see that you not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass. Okay? But the end is not yet. Now, we hear of wars, rumors, war. we hear all those things, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, pestilence, earthquakes, and diverse places. And these are just the beginning of sorrows. Then, somebody say then, shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. In verse 12, it says, because then... Uh, uh, 
Iniquity shall abound. Lawlessness, not walking in truth. And really, that's what it is. Iniquity is basically walking in lawlessness. He tells us, how can you say that you love me, but you do not keep my commands? How can you say that you love me, but you walk in lawlessness? How can you say that you, you love me, but you continue in your bondages? How can you say that you love me, and you continue in your sin? How can you say that you love me, and you continue in your addictions? How can you say that you love me? Well, it says that because lawlessness or continuing to break the commands of God, not do what he said, shall abound. And he said the result of that is that the love of many will wax cold. Folks, listen, as long as you hold on to your sin, your bondages, your iniquity, your rebellion against God, what you're going to find is more of a coldness against your heart. You're going to find that yourself speaking lies and hypocrisy. You're going to find yourself just, just going through the motions. You're going to be like an actor. You're going to be acting out those things, but you're going to have your conscience seared with a hot iron. Then he goes on to say, but he that shall endure to the end shall be saved. And this gospel, there's that verse, shall be preached unto all the world, uh, to witness unto all nations, then the end shall come. Now here's the context of that. Here's what I mean by people get these things out of whack. And he says, Then you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. And whoever reads this, let them understand. Then, somebody say then again. Then them which are in Judea shall flee into the mountains and let him which is on the housetop don't come down to gather anything out of his house. In other words, you're not going to have time to, to worry about getting a moving truck. Neither let them in the field turn back to take his clothes. In other words, it's going to come quickly. And woe to them that are with child and to them that are, are, are nursing children in those days. In other words, it's going to be a tough situation. But pray that your flight not be in winter neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation. It will be what? Great tribulation. Such as not seen since the beginning of the world nor shall ever be seen again. Except those days be shortened there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. There, then if any man shall say unto them, Lo, there is Christ, or there is, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, and they shall great, show great signs and wonders, insomuch if it is possible they shall deceive the very elect. Folks, listen. And I want to put something in context. You probably don't even think about this. Maybe some of you have learned this by now. But when the Gospels were written, there, you got to look at when I'm talking to somebody who the audience is. The Gospels were not written, written for Gentiles. Or for those that were not Jews, if that helps you understand. The, the four Gospels were written and their audience was primarily Jewish people who Jesus came to. They were When it's talking about the elect in the Gospel, it's co- talking about those that, that God made a covenant with through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He brought this covenant who He gave the law of Moses to. He's telling them. So when He's talking about this in Matthew 24, 1-24, this context of this is how He's going to deal with them. This was written, this is prophesied, prior to their rejecting the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and crucifying Him and rejecting that. But what He's doing is He's giving a foreshadow. He's prophesying now what He's going to do to bring them back to that place. And so the audience of the Gospels were Jews. They were the elect, and He's referring to them at this point. They're the ones that will have to endure great tribulation and the time of the word calls Jacob's trouble, not the church which is the bride of Christ. Those who have accepted Christ Jesus, that's not who he's talking about. He's talking about something that's going to come and it's going to, then the church is going to be out of the way. But there's going to be this great calamity that's going to come upon the world. Now, if you want to go through the great tribulation, you want to do those things, hey, you stick around. But I know the promises given to me. The Word of God tells me as His bride, as His church, that I've not been appointed unto wrath and the great tribulation is called the wrath of God but greater things. And so they are not the bride. The Jews are not the bride. So he's going to use this time. And so what's that going to happen? The book of Revelation talks about he's going to seal 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of of Israel. There's going to be uh, 144,000 sealed evangelists that are literally at that point, then the gospel is going to be preached unto all the world for a sign. Then the end shall come. But that doesn't affect you and I. And so between now and the, the, the rapture of the church, but the beginning of the great tribulation, 
Nobody's owed a chance. Nobody's going to get one. Nobody owes one, is going to be owed one after that. But it's going to be God's mercy. So any time Jesus could come back, any time that your, your soul could be required of you, any time those things can happen. But you've got to learn to separate two events, the, second, the, the rapture and the second advent. Some people, when they hear second coming, they, they lump those things together. The rapture is what's spoken of, and we, we see it in the Thessalonian letters. We see it in, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. That catching up, the, the taking out of the church. Why? Because once the church is back out of the way, now God begins to deal with that elect, those people that He put that first covenant with to bring them to a place of receiving Jesus as their Messiah. So God doesn't owe anyone a chance. And if He saved only one, or if He saved nobody after the fall, then He would still be righteous. He would still be justified. He would still be holy in everything that He did. And so, folks, that's what makes the rejection of the gospel so repulsive, is that God doesn't owe anyone a chance, but He gave everyone a chance. You hear what I'm saying? That God didn't do anything. That, that, that and, and so as a result, when you reject the gospel, we reject that salvation, that what the Word tells us here in, in chapter 9, verse 16 of Romans, listen, it's not you. God has showed you mercy. And so when you reject the mercy, it makes it's a sickening type of thing. And so God offered you something that He did not owe to a people that did not deserve it, and effectively they thumbed their noses at that gift. And so when you reject Jesus, what you're doing is you're thumbing your nose at what He did. You know, think about examples of something that, that happened. I think about something years ago. My son, and, and you know, he, he don't remember this. He's a grown man now. But I, I remember that he was in school and his shoes were getting kind of a little bit raggedy. And I didn't want him to go to school with some, some, some wore out shoes. You know, I, I remember at times when I was a kid and maybe my dad didn't have work. He was in construction or whatever. And I'd have to go to, I'd have to, go to school and maybe my, my clothes weren't new. Or, or maybe that, you know, in the wintertime when they were in construction, you know, that's when the, the least amount of money came into the house. We'd always teased about, let's have Christmas in July when, you know, the family has a lot of resources. And so, you know, I, I remember my friends a lot of times, they'd go back to school and they'd have all, everything, they'd be decked out in something new, and I didn't have anything. And, and I remember how I felt as a kid, you know. And, you know, as a kid, you're, you're concerned with those things, and, and that's just the way it is as a kid. You know, people, kids are going to make fun of you and everything else. You know, where's your new shoes? Where's your new clothes? Where's your new this or that? And so, you know, I remember at times, and it wasn't all the time, that, you know, we, something would happen where my, my, my dad would spend some time sick and whatnot. And so you'd go back and, you know, hey, did you get the latest toy or whatever? No, we really didn't get that. And there were some times that we did, obviously. But, you know, but I never wanted my kids to have to suffer through that. You know, we haven't ever had not, and we still don't have. God's taking care of us. But I remember one time that, you know, uh, I noticed Jared's shoes were kind of raggedy looking. And so I, I didn't have hardly any money. I had like 20 or $25 cash. And so I went and I found this pair of shoes that were on sale. And so I and I and I went to pick him up from school that day, and he was he was young. I can't remember what grade he was, middle school probably. And I had those shoes, and I was so happy that I was going to be able to give him these shoes. And uh, now, did he do anything particularly deserve them or anything? No, but he was my son, and I just wanted to do something for him. And I remember handing him shoes, and he opened the the box, and he looked at them. And he's like, I wouldn't wear them, and he just threw them in the back seat. Now, I never told him this, but that that crushed me. You know, you think it's something silly, but I thought to myself, I'm taking my last $20 that I could put in my gas tank or whatever else. And and it really, it it hurt my feelings so bad that he wouldn't say, you know what, Dad, thank you so much. That's maybe not a particular style that I want to wear or anything, but, you know, thank you so much for thinking about me and taking what you had. And it it hurt my feelings. Now, that was just a $20 pair of shoes, folks. That, that, That wasn't nothing. I probably gave them to some other kid that would wear them. But think about how it is with our father. 
that He took the very best gift that we were totally undeserving from. And, and He took everything. When, we gave, when He gave His Son Jesus, He gave the, 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 the most precious commodity that could never be uh, replaced. He gave His only begotten Son. And He offered Him up upon the cross of Calvary for us. Now think about the times that we snub our nose. That what would I want with that? Why would I want to choose this Jesus? That is the mercy of God. He took everything that He had. He took His compassion. He took His mercy. And He said, I know you don't deserve it. And you probably won't even appreciate it. But I'm going to do it anyway. Not because of what you've done, but because I love you. And I want to at least give you the opportunity to put on Christ. I want you to have at least the opportunity that you don't have to spend eternity completely separated from us. And folks, listen, that is, the, that is what breaks the heart of God. Listen, that's what moved... When Jesus saw those multitudes that we talked about yesterday in Matthew chapter 9, He was moved with compassion because He saw that they fainted, that they were scattered, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And, and, he, and He began to cry out, God, send laborers into the harvest. Send harvesters out there. Send somebody to tell them that I love them, that I gave everything for them. Send somebody. Folks, that's why I go. That's why I don't have to sit around and say, well, I wonder if God wants me to go to New Orleans and preach the gospel. I wonder if God wants me to go to New York. He wants me to go everywhere because any place people are hurting, any place people are lost, that's where He wants me to go. And so I don't have to sit there and wait for the clouds to come in the sky. And I'm not sitting there, well, you know what, there's just been too many confirmations. And I hear that stuff all the time because of the type of ministry we have. Well, I've got to see if God wants, to, wants me to go and preach to those people or not. Folks, listen, I know what the Word says. It says go and He never said stop. And so the flip side of that is... is I guess God wants them to go to hell. No, He would that none should perish. And, and folks, if you've adopted that type of wishy-washy, pie-in-the-sky, doctrine of the devil type of mentality that you're always having to, to get some type of tea leads coming into place, whether or not you're going to obey, the God, obey God, I'm just waiting for that divine appointment. I'm just waiting for that right moment. Folks, listen. Behold, now, Jesus said, is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. How much more clear can that be? Today is the day that people need to get saved. Today may be the very last day that somebody can get witness to. Today may be that last opportunity for them. Life is a vapor. It's here one moment. It's gone the next. There's got to be an urgency on the side. And so that is why Christianity has become so repulsive to the world. They think if you really believed in eternal hell, why wouldn't you see the urgency in telling me about a Jesus with a little bit more passion, with a little bit more urgency, with a little bit more desperation? Why do you hide yourself behind the stained glass windows in the four walls of a church singing, you know, uh, uh, you know won't that be a time when we get over yonder when right now people are dying and lost and going to hell? Folks, listen, he came to seek and to save the lost, to set us free from the captivity of this bondage of, of our destiny being destruction, our God being our belly, our glory being our shame, and, and, our, and our mind being on earthly things. We've got to come to that place of an urgency and desperation. Why? Because the mercy of God has called us to those places. And so if you feel comfortable yourself sitting back, letting people go to hell, and you think for a moment you're going to be able to stand before a holy and righteous God who spared not His own Son... And you think He's going to look into your life and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, just because you went and flipped the pages of some Sunday school book on, uh, for 45 minutes on, 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 on your Sabbath? Folks, you've got another thing coming. There is, God has created us to be His messengers, to be followers, to be imitators of Him, which we've talked about so, so many times. He's come because we didn't deserve it. But God loved us enough to show that. And so we ought to have the wherewithal and the passion because of our relationship with Jesus to go and do those exact same things. The mercy and compassion of God has been extended without merit to all, without, being, without anybody doing anything on their part 
to deserve it. Now that's the message that he's given us. Now Romans 9.17 says this. Romans 9.17. He says, For the Scripture said, uh, says unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now, Think about that. Here's Pharaoh. Moses has given him a word. He said, let my people go. Set them free. God, the I am that I am has sent me. And it says that God even raised him up for that purpose. Now, folks, listen. God, in his foreknowledge, he knew how Pharaoh was going to respond. And he utilized it for a purpose. Now, Pharaoh could have repented and obeyed God. But he didn't, and God knew that he wouldn't. And so God said, listen, I'm going to take what I know... And I'm going to use it for my benefit. That's why Romans 8 told us, you know, listen, God can use everything for the, for the, the benefit or, or all things work together for the good of those that love Him and are called according to the purpose. God is going to take those issues that He knows is going to happen. God's not going to change your will. Not, God's not going to do those things. But God is going to use the decision that He knows to begin to bring people to His kingdom. And so, you know, you think about this. Here's what it's like. And I know we got Rick here. Rick is in uh, Colorado. And Rick teaches uh, uh, martial arts. And, you know, in, in martial arts and even in wrestling... I, I was involved in, in wrestling for, for years. What they do is they'll teach you to use the efforts of your opponent to your advantage. They'll, they'll teach you that if he's overextending, and that's something that we, don't, don't overextend. We tell, you're, 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 you're too high. You're too high, we'd say, in, in wrestling. That means that you're overextending yourself. You're putting yourself in a vulnerable position. And so they would, uh, in, in martial arts and even in grappling, what would happen is they would let you overextend yourself and they would take advantage over that o- overextension to obtain the upper hand. And that's exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to let Pharaoh, I'm going to let the enemy overextend himself. I'm gonna, and I'm going to use his, his efforts. I'm going to use his momentum against him to accomplish my good. I'm going to throw him. I'm going to take judo. They teach you that. Those throws. I'm going to get somebody in a fling. As soon as they push against me, boom, I'm going to turn them and flip them. And that's exactly what God did with Pharaoh. Pharaoh was pressing. Pharaoh and his rebellious. Pharaoh and his, the hardness of his heart. God said, okay, you want to harden your heart? I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and push you into that hardness. I'm going to go ahead and, and use your, your desire and your will to be hardened. Okay, here you go. I'm going to push you into those type of things. And folks, that's what the Word talks about as well. Turning them over to a reprobate mind. If you want to be reprobate, be reprobate. And so many times on the streets we'll be trying to share somebody the Word of God and they don't want to hear it. But the Word says if a man desires to be ignorant, let him be ignorant. And so otherwise, use the momentum of his ignorance to begin to preach to other people. One night we were on the streets of New Orleans during the Mardi Gras. It's been four or five, maybe six years ago. We had a big group out there standing on the corner of, I believe it was Royal Street and St. Pete. And all these people this, all these people were gathered around. We were witnessing. And one man came out, a man in his 60s. He came out in the most vile and repulsive things that I've ever heard come out of people's mouth. He's going up to the girls and just saying such filthy things to them, trying to get a rise out of people, trying to get us upset about what he was doing. And all of a sudden, something rose up inside of me. And this is a man in his 60s. And he's in this crowd and... People are laughing because of what he's saying to the Christians and everything. Just how vile that he's being. I reached out and I caught him by the arm. The 60-year-old man. I caught him by the arm. And I led him right out in the middle of the street. And I began to holler at the top of my lungs. I want everybody's attention. Now, he's just caught there. He's off guard. He don't know what I'm doing. I'm just holding on to his shirt. And I began to say, you know, people of New Orleans, I want you to take note of this man. This is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be a 60-something-year-old individual. And you're going to be repulsive. You're going to be vile if you continue to give yourself over to the devil. Is this what you want to look like when you're old? Is this what you want to act like? Is this the type of testimony that you want to have for your life? Because this is where you're heading. Now, what did it do? It shut him up. What did I use? I used the momentum of his wickedness to bring about the glory of God. And so what happened? 
It, it, it chimed the crowd down and our team began to witness to people and that guy took off down the street. Why? Because I took him and I paraded him about and I made an open show of him. Showed that we had triumphed over him in the cross of Calvary. I used the momentum that he had. So, And that's what God does in, 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 in with the adversary. And that's what he's talking about here in the 17th chapter. He said, I took the momentum that Pharaoh had and I turned it against him. And I brought my, my people out of their bondage. Psalm 69.22 says this. It says, Let their table become a snare before them. That they which should have been uh, for their welfare, let it become a trap. Psalm 69.22 Let their table become a snare before them. And that which would have been for their welfare... Let it become a trap. In other words, you know what? Pharaoh could have repented, but he didn't. So as a result of that, that's going to be a snare for himself. Verse 18, it says, Therefore, uh, he has mercy on them, he will have mercy on whom he, uh, whom he will, he will harden. That's what we've talked about right here. And folks, listen, think about this. Romans 1.28, and that's just, Paul's repeating that again. God's going to have mercy on who he's going to have mercy, and he, whom he will harden, he's going to harden. But Romans 1.28, you probably forgot this. He said, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them, gave them over to a depraved or reprobate mind to do what they should not have done. So folks, listen, I want to warn you, when God begins to speak to you and God begins to desire to do a change in your life, if you harden your heart, that momentum is going to carry you into a deeper destruction. God forbid. Come and let God show His mercy and His forgiveness for you in your life. And so in verse 19 He says, uh, What will they say unto me then? Why does He yet find fault for who has resisted His will? Folks, we've got to come to that place where we're not walking and resisting the, the will of God. And I'll, I'll get on verse 19 tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow is where we're going to start. But we're totally out of time for our live broadcast today. But listen, if you've got questions, uh, we'll be uh, here to answer your questions and anything that you might have after the, the program goes off the, the our, our broadcast. But we, we love you and we appreciate you and we want you to be back here tomorrow. We're here Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, for a study in the Word of God. And we'd love you to be a part of that. But folks, I've got one bit of advice for you as we check out today. Get into God's Word, and God's Word will get into you.